Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We are right now in a series studying through what exactly that looks like as a church, as a church body. What does it look like to be the kind of church that is really only about Christ, that is about Him, that is focused on Him, that is comprised of worshipers that are really, truly seeking to be that for Christ? Our image reminds us here as we get ready to dig into our passage that uh, full throttle, team harvest, full throttle for Christ is the kind of thing where uh, we're functioning as a team. It's the kind of thing where as we look at the image on the screen, we see in this particular picture four people in a bobsled functioning, working, acting, thinking, purposing, working as hard as they can at being about a team for a purpose, for a unified purpose together. We don't see arms hanging out of the thing or arms reaching over the edge and dragging the sled down. We don't see, you know, heads just like dragging on the back or fingernails going on the ice as it's going down the track. We don't see that taking place because this is about full throttle out for Christ. But the idea is to be streamlined, is to be tight, is to be held in and encompassed in to a common truth reality of what we're about and we are to be people of truth and we are to be people that protect truth and titus is being challenged being encouraged being helped by paul here in this first chapter helping him learn what it is and to set up leadership in a church that's functioning like this. But listen, chapter 1, although it keys in on leadership, isn't just about only leaders. It's about everybody being what's being talked about here. In fact, let's pick up in verse 5 and get a sledding start into verses 10 through 6, our text today. Verse 5, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Well, Paul, what are those elders supposed to look like? How do I know who these guys should be? Well, verse 6 and following, Titus, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Remember that term right there. Verse 7, for an overseer or a leader, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good. He must be self-controlled. He must be upright and holy, or holy. Another word for that is set apart and disciplined. Verse 9, what we covered last week, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught. If you remember from last week, two items come out of that. It's about being people who are biblical truth-knowing people. It's about being a person. It's a biblical truth-knowing man, a biblical truth-knowing woman. But it doesn't just stop there about knowing about biblical truth because it's biblical truth that's lived out. It's implied in the statement. It's about being a biblical truth-knowing person, a biblical truth-living person. 
And then he continues on, verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that, in order that, for the purpose of, that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. It's not just about knowing the word of God and growing in it, and it's not just even about living the word of God, but it's also about ministering the word of God. Listen, we live so much in a mindset in our culture where God is all about me. In other words, I need to know God and I need to live God and it's about me and I'm going to keep it there. But no, 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 that's falling so short of what God has intended to have happen. Because God has intended us to be the kind of people that know him, the kind of people that live for him, but also the kind of people that minister for him. And if we don't jump to that step, oh friends, we're missing so much of what God has intended. You mean me and you minister? Absolutely absolutely. If you know Christ is your story, you have a story. You have a ministry opportunity. You have something marvelous to tell people about. It's about being a biblical truth knowing man, a biblical truth living man, a biblical truth ministering man. And lastly, in verse 9, and also to rebuke those who contradict it in order the words to be a biblical truth protecting man or person. That's what we talked about last week. Let's pick up verse 10 through 16 because it builds off of this last statement. What does it look like? What does it mean? Why do we have to be biblical protecting people? Verse 10, for there are many, Titus, who are insubordinate, many who are empty talkers and deceivers. Titus, especially those of the circumcision party. Verse 11, Titus, they must be silenced. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Oh, Titus, by the way, you know that one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Verse 13, this testimony is true, Titus. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths. And to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, to the redeemed, all things are pure. But to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They even profess to know God. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by the works, their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Wow, is Paul having a bad day? Paul's kind of in a tither here, isn't he? There's a reason for it. Let's pray and let's dig into it. God, thank you for our time together. It is only about you, Lord. It is only about you. And that falls in so well to the fact we're talking today about a passage that the Apostle Paul, that you are helping us to understand. It is so important to protect your truth. It is so important to be people that are about your truth because it's your truth. Creator of the universe has communicated. May we hear it. May we love it. May we protect it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage is quite interesting. Uh, In this passage, I I think we see three things. 
Uh, one of them is, is Paul is telling Titus actually what's happening on the island of Crete. Some things are taking place throughout the island of Crete, and there's some reasons he gives why those things are happening. I think he describes nine things that are happening on the island of Crete. He gives eight reasons why those things are happening, and then he gives two reasons on what are two things about what we're supposed to then do with that situation. So if we need to know the situation, if we want to work with the situation, if we want to handle the situation, then we need to know the situation, right? Okay, if we need to work with the situation, we need, we need to know the situation, right? Oh, yes. Okay, so we're going to start, number one over here, with what's the situation? What's going on here? What's going on here? I think nine things the text tells us. I'm going to kind of uh, grab some of these here. Follow with me. Verse 10, uh, Paul starts out and he says, For there are many. By the way, this isn't just an isolated event. This is many. There's many cities on the island of Crete, and there's many churches or church within at least each of those cities, but there's also many who are doing what's happening here. There's a problem, and one of those problems is, is it says there are many who are insubordinate. First one, insubordination. It's interesting. This word insubordination is the same word that's used in verse 6. In verse 6, it talked about how elders are not to be the kind of individuals where they have children that are insubordinate. It's the same word, or children that are unruly or rebellious. It's the kind of person that does not allow themselves to be put under authority. I ain't submitting to nobody. It's my way or the highway. By the way, who are you to tell me what to do? That's insubordinate. That's copping an attitude. But one of the things that's going on is among Christians or among the church, there are people who are living a reality where they're just insubordinate. Also in verse 10, it says there's empty talk going on. Now, this empty talk is not the kind of talk where you just are like hanging out together and talking about life. It's not just sitting outside, hanging together, or over at uh, Dairy Queen, or this time of year, maybe more over like Starbucks having something warm. Uh, hanging out, just talking about family, talking about things. That's not what we're talking about, empty talk. It's not Facebook talk. I think it's a lot of empty talk. No, I didn't say that. Um, No, it's not that kind of thing. What's happening here is it's more this idea that they love to talk, but it's useless talk. Not useless like who cares about the weather, but useless like this. We've sat around and we've talked about spiritual things for like an hour with the, and you've talked mainly to me. And frankly, after all this time talking, I have no idea what you're saying. Like, what's that even about? Where does that come from? It's kind of like this. Empty talk might be the type of thing that, hey, Adam and Eve were created by God. So did Adam and Eve have a belly button? You know, have you ever thought about that? Because, man, think of the implications of that. Like, who cares? Who cares? We could sit around and just for, you know, for fun talk about it and that kind of thing. But I'm talking about in a funny situation. The reality is, is that this is talking about people that just sit around talking about spiritual things, but it's just like gobbledygook. It's like, what's that about? They're insubordinate people. There's empty talk going on. And third, there's deception. How sad. Deception means that people are purposely and knowingly deceiving. I mean, they purposely knowing they're not telling the truth. They purposely know that they're conning you. These are like the religious Bernie Madoffs of the day. They know exactly what's happening. 
and they're conning and they're scheming and they don't even care. By the way, the, those first three are listed and notice at the end of verse 10, I think Paul of anybody knows better about this because he says, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, if you're not quite sure, if you're new to the Bible, that term really is referring to those group of people who are following the Old Testament laws. Now, really, when I say following the Old Testament laws, they're really not following the Old Testament laws. What it ends up being is they're following an Old Testament started system by God that got blown out of proportion in like a thousand of these man-made rules. And they can't do this, can't do that, got to do this, got to do this. And it's just a legalistic deal going on. That's the circumstance circumcision party. And by the way, Philippians chapter 3, if anybody knew about that, Paul knew about it. Because Paul talks about how he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. If you think you're a zealot for God, he was a bigger zealot for God. I mean, this guy was full out for God, uh, he thought. He was religious, but he really had no relationship with God at all through Christ. Paul knew what this was. And the sad part is, is that in the context of this, friends, is that the things we're talking about, these are being done by religious structured or religious imaged people going around talking to God's people. That's really the context upon which this is taking. This is not taking in among, among in the broad secular culture of the day. This is what's happening within the churches of the day and people are going around who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceiving for. And one of the results, verse 11, is families are being upset. Teachers would go house to house and they would go into homes. And in this day and age, it was really where most of the churches met in a home. They didn't have a theater to rent kind of a thing. And often part of that was because they didn't have enough people to be able to go. I don't know if they had movies back then. Um, but in it, they had these, they usually met in homes. Sometimes they met in a larger home if there was someone who was wealthy or whatever. But what often would take place is these teachers who were there, they would come over and they would grab dinner with you and talk and they would get going. And so, by the way, that fits with the insubordination thing because they kind of like to get alone with some people. And they get alone with some people or some families and they'll sit and they'll talk about spiritual things and they'll interact and give their uh, deceptive teaching and instruction and families are being upset all over the island. Christian families are trying to figure out what's going on. And remember this, they did not have a New Testament. Listen, folks, we so often forget the transition stage of what's happening in the New Testament at this time. Christ came, Christ in early 30s AD died, was resurrected, ascended in heaven. Acts 2, the the Spirit of God came uh, down on those who come to Christ. And in this process, the Word is literally being written. They are being written a letter that is God's Word for them. And so we have this period of transition time in God's administration, and people are struggling to find out how do we handle what's been with this new and how does that work and people it's the perfect time for breeding lies and distortions and sometimes not always because people want to although this text is oriented to that sometimes it's just because people are genuinely trying to understand but here in this text we see that families are being upset and uh, whether it's a person in a family or multiple families together, the community is very tight. Please, they see everybody every day nearly in these agricultural communities back then. Uh, uh, number five, what else we see going on in the middle of verse 11 is they're teaching for shameful game. Scamming is taking place. Religious scams. It's sham teaching. 
teaching that isn't helping. It's literally this idea of they're selling doctrine. It's the, listen, you've got the ability to pay me. I'll be happy to play with you. It's a you pay, I'll play game that's going on. And the truth of the matter is it's a religious scam. Six, untruth is happening. In verse 11, it says they're teaching what they ought not to teach. <laughs> it sounds a little bit weird saying this, but it's like if you're going to be a scammer, at least teach what's right. But here they're not. They're selling snake oil theology. Or if you watch Andy Griffith, it's the magic elixir oil. God in a bottle. Seven myths, myths. We see down in verse 14. Now, the, the way it's talking about it is, is uh, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths. In other words, rebuke them so that they don't, de- don't uh, continue in Jewish myths. So what's that saying is, is there were Jewish myths that were going on in the day. So part of what's happening is there's these myths. It's really interesting because in that day, there was like these Old Testament, if you will, these law doctors prescribing myths. Uh, I'm sorry, prescribing a myth prescriptions. Here's a couple of them that were common in the day. Um, The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the original Hebrew of the Old Testament had no vowels with it. It was all consonants. And so if you look at it, it's kind of very block lettering back then. And so they have all these consonants, and that's just the way they wrote. They completely understood how words fit together. It wasn't a guessing game. That's how it always was. Later on, they added the vowels just to be able, as the, as the Bible was expanding more to people, to be able to allow more to clarify what was going on. And so the, it's all in these consonants on the page. You know, just imagine a, a, like a section of Scripture where all the consonants of the Hebrew are on this big kind of page. And then it's time to play a game. It's time to play the what mystical words are found in this game. And so all these consonants are across. And so someone's looking and say, you know, because God's a spooky kind of an eerie thing. So there's got to be some kind of spooky eeriness in this. So let's go on. So all these consonants are laid all out. And so it's like they, you know, they find the word. And so it's like, look, if I angle over here, I take these consonants all together. Oh, my word. Do you know that the Old Testament original Hebrew, when you angled across and found these couples of words, it tells when JFK was going to be killed. (laughs) And it tells that Hitler was going to be alive. Uh, By the way, there is some of that teaching today. But that was taking place in that day. It was a very common thing to have happen. Numerology was huge. Uh, They would take names from the list of genealogies and just blow these stories and expand these kinds of things. They had the book of Jubilee where it was the the number seven was just kind of expanded into meaning stuff like what it's not intended to be. Hey, listen to me. God provided his written word so that we could understand it. And it's like, what are people spending all their time investigating into all these oogity-boogity kind of things when just read God's word? Grammatically, historically, as the person who picked it up originally, what did it mean then? That's what we need to understand it as as well. Oh, by the way, another thing was is that there was talk that the angels observed the Sabbath. And get this, it was even talked about and uh, taught by some that the angels followed the practice of circumcision. I ain't going there. 
But the idea is, you get the idea, there's these myths that are going on. Eight, legalism. We see in verse 14 this idea of legalism. In other words, there are people that were following the commands of people, teaching rules and regulations made by people. Now listen, again, the Old Testament law had just a certain number of things to be followed. And by the way, in the Old Testament, it was all salvation by faith through grace. It was salvation by grace through faith. That's what the Old Testament was about. Same as the new. It's just there's a big difference. The Messiah is known. The price has been paid. And yet in it, in the Old Testament, we have this, all this, it's in other words, at the day of Paul and, and Titus on Crete, it's Jesus plus theology. It's Jesus plus certain food and clothing and music and instruments and certain Bible translations. And, and you got to go to church three times a week. Otherwise, you're really not a follower of Christ. It's the, we don't do blank, you shouldn't do blank. And if you don't do blank and I don't do blank or do blank and you do blank, then we're superior. That's really what it is. It's Jesus plus. Oh, by the way, it is so easy for us, for those of you who know Christ as your Savior, it is so easy to come to Christ by grace through faith and then live works-oriented. Never intended to be that way. Come to Christ by His grace and live by faith. Live in His grace. We can't earn God's favor more. God doesn't play a human game. And legalism was taking place. Listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? There's a building friends thing. Did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts, they're far from me. In vain do they worship me. Listen, teaching doctrines that are the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And he goes on later in the text to say, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that's going to go into him that can defile him. It's the things that come out of the person that defile him. It's what's inside. It's the heart issue. And ninth, hypocrisy. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They speak a nice God talk, but they live for self. They speak a nice talk around other Christian kind of people. They speak a nice talk at church. They sing, they serve, they talk it. But outside with friends at the store alone on the computer, where's Christ? It's so interesting as we look at this list. That is so today, by the way. I'm not living under authority. Oh, I've got ideas on how things work together. I was listening to the radio, WIBC, the other day. They had some uh, uh, a good conference that was going on and about uh, creation. And they had people call in. And the things that people called in and with the ideas on how everything got started, Unbelievable. Empty talk. And there's, there's just deception out there. Turn on some TV channels with, sad to say, God-proclaiming people. Families being upset. Scams going on. Untruth, myths, legalism, hypocrisy. That is so today's question. Where does all this come from? Why does this happen? 
Well, let's take a look, because I think the text tells us there's eight things. What, what brings this about? Eight things. Here we go. First, liars. Now, what am I talking about? What I'm talking about here is in verse 12. Look at verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. Oh, by the way, this prophet likely is the, the person by the name I am killing this name. It's something like Epimenides, E-P-I-M-E-N-I-D-E-S. So we'll call him Epi. So there was this guy about 600 years earlier, Epi. Epi was a great prophet in everybody's view in Crete. He was kind of a forefather of everything. He was a, one of the seven wisest men of the ancient world. Marvin Vincent writes about this. A legend relates that going by his father's order in search of a sheep, he, Epi, lay down in a cave where he fell asleep and slept for 50 years. That boy was tired. And he then appeared with long hair and a flowing beard, duh, and with an astounding knowledge of medicine and natural history. Hmm. It was said that he had the power of sending his soul out of his body and recalling it at his pleasure. I don't know what that even means. And that he had conversations with the gods and possessed the power of prophecy. He said to have lived at the age of 157 and divine honors were paid to him by the Cretans after his death. That guy wrote this. One of the Cretans, he wrote, Cretans are always liars. Now understand, he's talking about the big picture of who they are. It's not talking, it is talking about what they do, but this is in reference to who they are. Listen, that group of people, my own group of people are known as people that are liars. In fact, in that day, there was a term called to Cretanize. And so if little Bobby came to you and you're a teacher and he comes into your classroom and he says, where's your homework? He says, well, there's a big gorilla on the road and stole my homework, teacher. Really, that's what happened. And she'd go, Bobby, now you know that you should not cretinize. That literally was what was used back in that day. Because these people were known to be liars that their own country name became the term describing what a liar is. So here, why, do pe- why are people this way? Well, one of their own says is because they're just known to be liars. Oh, by the way, get this one. This just gives an example how they're liars. In the day, in Crete, the people on the island of Crete said that Zeus was buried on the island of Crete. Now think about this. Zeus is, one of the, ch- is the chief god, small g gods, of all the Greek god system. Zeus is immortal. Now, if he's immortal, how is he buried? Because they're liars. That's who they are. And their own says it. Incredible how Paul just brings these truths and pulls these out. Incredible intellect. Also, secondly, they're wild people. It talks about how it has this idea that, that, uh, let's see, we're verse 12. Um, Cretan says they're always liars, always evil beasts. It's this idea having this wild animal, this fierce-like beast. It's the idea of solely living on my own appetites and passions. Get this, if it feels good, do it. That's what it's talking about. Third, there were lazy gluttons. Epi says that his own people are lazy gluttons, and Paul uh, states it here. Cretans hated to work, but they loved to eat. In fact, they were known as being very large people. 
they're self-indulgent, they're greedy, they're lustful, and they're overfed. I just want to make a note here because it's very interesting. Paul pulls this statement up of one of their own describing the culture of the nature, would be a good word, the nature of the people that live there. If you were to come and to say, tell me what's the nature, describe a couple words that describe the nature of Americans, or tell me the words that describe the uh, Australians, or um, you know, those in Japan, or those in Kentucky or, you know, people like that, you know, different areas. How, what would be some words you would use? When you're thinking about it, you're thinking who they are in general. Listen, culture does have big impact. You go around the world and you interact with people and you find out that culture impacts. Had the chance in the late 80s to be able to go over to Moscow before the wall fell, before communism fell. Was over there for a business meeting. Um, was there for a business meeting, Was had a trade show with our products that were there. I went into this display in this uh, uh, convention area there in Moscow. And um, so I had our little booth thing. And those of you in business know what I'm talking about with this. Had a booth there. And so I went and put a stack of our literature out of our products. And so as those involved in medical and blood banking would come around and take a look. And they'd see our products over there. And they'd be able to take a literature. And this really just a sweet lady from England comes across. She was across the the aisle way, and she comes, she says, oh, you haven't been here before, have you? Uh, no. Uh, maybe it was the fact that I was, my knees were shaking and sweating, thinking I was going to die or something that gave it away. But there I am over there, and she comes over and she says, uh, by the way, don't put all your literature out like you're doing, because they'll be gone in about 10 minutes. I'm like, gone in about 10 minutes? Why? They need them that bad? This is good. And she's like, no, because what they'll do is they'll take them, and they'll, because they have pretty pictures on them. And just like, it's got pictures of platelet storage devices. And she's like, no, they'll take them home and they'll hang them on their walls because this is free and it's pretty printed stuff. And they'll go and they'll take it and they'll put it over their couch and they'll put it on their wall like a picture of a landscape or something. I'm like, you're kidding me. No. Listen, culture carries out in how we do things. So I had to take them all off, keep them behind. I had to get out tape. They gave me some tape. because I didn't think about it. You tape your brochure down. Like, how dorky is that? And so you go and you tape it down to the table so they can come and look at it. And then if they go through a system, then you handle, hand them a flyer. Every culture has its uniquenesses about it. And in the island of Crete, the three sad things was that they were known, not by a believer, not by a follower of Christ, but by one of their own forefathers, their Washingtons of the day, their Abraham Lincolns of the day, said that they're known as liars, wild beasts, and lazy gluttons. How sad. Fourth, one of the characteristics of these people, verse 15, is they're defiled. From God's perspective, these people are defiled whether it's Jewish legalism or any kind of legalism, it presumes that a person can be able to earn God's favor. What? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. No way can't do. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You cannot earn your way to God. Oh, by the way, if you are one who thinks you can earn your way to God, the big question is, is how, mon- how many works are enough. And by the way, generally, the answer to that is 51% of the perceived reality of my culture. These people were defiled. They're defiled because they can't earn their way to God, because they're unredeemed. 
fifth, in verse 15, it says not only they're defiled, but they're unbelieving. The two fit together, and they're unbelieving, they're defiled in their minds and their consciousness. Understand, as God looks at them, God looks at them, and he says in their heart, he sees that these are the people that are wild, they're liars, they're gluttons, they're defiled spiritually, they don't believe in him. And sixth, they're detestable, therefore. They literally, it's interesting, this word that's used here, Christ uses it uh, in the middle of verse 16. Christ uses the same word talking about the Antichrist when he refers to the term, the abomination of desolation, abomination. It's detestable. It's something really bad. Seventh, uh, something else that's going on inside these people that are doing this, they're just outright 16, uh, they're disobedient. They're detestable and they're disobedient. They walk in their own course. They betray anything that's right. God's not going to tell me what to do, and if I do know what to do, I don't really care. Eight and last, the end of the passage, he's unfit for any good work. It's the idea of worthless. They're worthless because they're disqualified. I tell you, this is just sad stuff. This is like depressing kind of stuff, but this is the real stuff as we go through. Here's the deal. People's hearts are oriented like this. And because their spiritual, their lives are oriented like this, because they're unredeemed, because those things are not taken care of by the work of Christ, because of those things that's in their hearts, these people live like this and they do things like that. That's why this happens. And so here's the deal. It's not about just taking care of this, because if we just try and rearrange the fruit on the tree, the outside external stuff, it's like rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. It's still going down. The issue in a person's life is they need help with their heart. They need help with their thinking what's going on. And we in our culture are masterful at trying to be all about the outside stuff. Just as long as people see me good. Just as long as, you know, but the fact is we don't address this. And this is the deal. This is what's so cool. The Bible goes to this. Because God knows this is the deal. And when we come in times in life, when life is hurting, we need to sit back and ask the question, what's going on in my heart right now? I am not saying that bad things are a direct result of my heart. What I am saying is that we need to consider, how do I respond to life when life gets hard? It might be because I'm consequences of sin, but it also just might be that God's given me an opportunity to give him glory in a really hard situation. Well, this is what's going on in the island of Crete. This is what's taking place. This is why. And there's two things in the text that say, so what do we do about it? In other words, untruth is being proclaimed on this, on this uh, island, these cities on the island. Two things that we're to do about it. Here we go, verse 11a. It says, they must be silenced period. Uh, Paul doesn't take a whole lot of time. You kind of get the idea what silenced is. It's muzzled. Is a maybe a literal translation. A modern literal translation would be like this. Put a sock in it. That's really kind of the concept. Listen, here's the deal. Titus, 
This kind of stuff is going on in the island, in the cities, in the towns where Christians have, where people have come to Christ. And there are people that are doing this. And, and Titus, I want for you to know that you are to be teaching leaders. And by the way, all of us are to be the kind of people that protect the word of God. And when this kind of stuff is happening, we need to lovingly silence it. Stop it. By the way, why? Because this is all oriented around the twisting of God's truth. Friends, this is about God's truth. God, the creator of the universe, the one, the one sitting on the throne, the one that knows exactly what's taking place all the time, involved in the affairs of the world, moving all things in the affairs of the world for his glory. God, the one who's on the throne, he has spoken, and we cannot change that. We cannot warp that. We cannot twist that. And when that happens, whether by purpose or even, frankly, by accident, it needs to be corrected. It needs to be silenced. Now, secondly, along with this, in verse 13, it says, therefore rebuke them. By the way, do you see it says rebuke them sharply? Yeah. It's literally the term is used oftentimes for a knife. It's rebuke them right where it's at and go for it. Now understand in the text that's talking about that right right in there, it's rebuke them so that they may be sound in the faith. In other words, this isn't about Nazi truth kind of people walking around being rude and arrogant and mean and just stupid. This is about kind of people walking out aware of truth and when truth is not there lovingly and correctly in a Matthew 18 kind of a way addressing it and it would look like this there's truth something that's said and I'm like no and this isn't just you know one of those gray areas where I'm not quite sure you know is Christ coming back before the trib after the trib hey listen Christ is coming back here's that's the deal I'm talking about outright heresy and it's the kind of thing where something comes up or someone I hear from someone or whatever, and I'm like, hey, I want to get together, Matthew 18. So listen, go talk to them because I love them. Because I don't want them to be someone that gets bound up in untruth or caught up in untruth. And so if it's a big enough kind of a thing, then I go and talk with them and say, hey, uh, clarify, is uh, my understanding this correct that this is what's going on here and this is what's happening here? Or maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe I completely misunderstood the whole context of the thing. Hey, I love you and I love Christ. Listen, this is about being team. By the way, a few weeks ago, I had someone, Dan, come up to me after a service, and he said, you know, one of the slides you have, you said, was the island of Crete. It's not. Yes, it is, Dan. No, really, I don't think that it was. It was a satellite image, and I had tracked that through. I thought it was Crete. You know what? It was Cyprus. And uh, by the way, I haven't used it since. And I'm just like, thanks, Dan. That is awesome, because I had the wrong picture. Listen, we're all at a place where it wasn't, I wasn't intending to. I didn't like put up America and say that was great. I was just, you know, that kind of a thing that's going on. And we're together. We're a team. That's how people work together. And by the way, it's important enough, because we're talking about in this kind of situation, it's biblical truth, that if someone's like, nope, 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 I do not believe that, that uh, Christ was the Son of God. I think he came to understand who he was and he was a man over time. No, I just got to tell you, that's heresy. That's important enough to where it's the kind of thing where if they don't, you know, changing that, it's like, no, listen, I got to go get some others. I got to get some, two others who can come along and help because maybe I'm still not understanding it wrong, but I care about this. It's not the, it's the help because we love each other. 
by the way, at that point, if a person is like, no, I, I'm sticking with this, this truth of the matter is, Matthew 18 says, you bring the church in and you put the heat on. Not put the heat on to be mean, put the heat on to restore. Because it's about God's truth. Hey, listen, Paul in this text is very serious about chapter 1, about leaders. If leaders are going to be full throttle for Christ, they have to be the kind of men, they have to be the kind of people that are going to stand up for truth and protect it. I want to leave you with uh, kind of one more thing here, okay? I want to challenge your thinking on a couple things. That maybe even irritate you. I don't know. This whole idea here of protecting truth, I'd just like to take it to a couple, just a couple quick thoughts that's going on today. Think about these. Statements like, life is about my happiness. Really? Is it? Is that what the scriptures say? Is that what Christ was thinking when he was being crucified on the cross? That this is so cool, I'm dying because one day Doug's going to be able to receive me and then it's going to be all about him having happiness. Is that what this is all about? Uh, just believe in Jesus and everything will be great. You'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, and you'll be happy. I miss that train. And yet we, in our culture, that is oftentimes the, quote, gospel. That's not the gospel. Another one kind of along with that is Jesus is my boyfriend. Is that what Christ was thinking when he was crucified on the cross? Is that what Christ is thinking on the throne right now? I just want to be your boyfriend. Okay, here's a couple others. I can't love others until I love myself. Really, as I understand the scriptures, the problem is that I love myself too much. That's the heart problem. Another one. So get some years going. I just need a better self-esteem. Really? Is that the answer? Is that what's needed? I need to be able to think more highly about myself than I think more highly about myself right now? Really? Is that what Christ is thinking now, that your problem is, is that you don't think high enough of yourself? I agree we need to esteem ourselves properly. That means esteeming ourselves biblically. Here's the right esteem. I'm a sinner separated from God, completely separated from God. But because of Christ, he has made available to me the opportunity to be a forgiven of my sin and to literally, as the scripture says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. My goodness, how much better can it be than a person is a child of God? That's the thinking. I need to be God-esteemed. 
I need to think of myself from that reality. Christ died for me, not so that I can have be, life be all about me. Christ died for me so that I can be able to have my life be about him. I just need Jesus, not the local church. Is that what the Bible says? I can't help myself. The Bible is irrelevant. Yeah, I'm going to trash that one today. And last, it isn't so important that you believe in the God of the Bible, but that you believe something. Because all ways lead to God. Really? If that's the case, God is a complete and utter schizophrenic. Oh, and by the way, the Quran does not agree with that statement. Nor does the Buddhist Bible, nor do the Jehovah's Witnesses, nor does Christ. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There are definitive articles in there on purpose. He is not a way, a life. He is the way and the way to the Father. Friends, truth is significant. May we be the kind of people that are committed to truth, loving it, holding it, grabbing it, embracing it, speaking it, protecting it, and living it, right? And we're all working on this together. Let's help each other. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much just for the time and for your love and your care for us and your patience with us, oh Lord. I just look and I see the reality of uh, how short I fall. And yet the, the blessing is, is that by grace, you love us. It's because of grace. You don't need us, but you do want to show your glory through us. I pray we would be the kind of people that really are committed to the truth principles of the Bible. God, they're your truths. May we hold them high. May we in our daily lives be careful on the things we're thinking and the things we're teaching because we are responsible. And may this church be the kind of church that loves living for you, loves getting to know you more, and loves helping each other understand you more and more. Oh God, you're awesome. And because of that, may we honor you with our minds and with our mouths and with our feet. In Christ's name, amen.